today on the Daily Gator Daily Thought, why do electric cars really, really suck? What the hell is the FBI doing? Seriously, they're ruining people's lives over January 6th. Joe Rogan speaks some truth. Kamala Harris still hasn't done a damn thing, except Willie Brown, of course. What about the inner city? The violence there is unfathomable. Is it? A Muslim man got some uh, some kind of justice from one of his wives when he went a little too far in being the controlling freak that apparently he was. Are we in a post-racial time? Imram X. Kindai, a race-baiting piece of trash, says, no, we're not. I think he's just trying to make some money. We've got an idiot at Salon. Well, they're all idiots at Salon, but we got one in specific, Amanda Marcotte, a mentally degenerate fool, if there ever was one, who says, yep, it's all guns. Every crime committed is blamed on guns, apparently. And we've got MSNBS crying, crying that the, the right is using critical race theory as another form of racism. Yes, my friends with five A's. Ready to kick this pig? Let's do it, kids. Come right back after these important message. Very important from a very good spokesperson. And uh, we'll have some fun dissecting the left. And away we go, my friends. Let's talk electric cars. You know, I've been seeing all these new commercials from Ford and Audi and Mercedes and all kind of car companies. Talking about their great new electric trucks, electric cars. I mean, very appealing. And I'll be honest with you. I don't care if a car I drive runs on sweet potatoes. I don't care. I don't care if it runs on cinnamon and sugar. I don't care. I care that it's a a good responsible for the environment. Yes, I do. And I care that it works and powers the vehicle I drive so I can go fast as I need to go, have acceleration, have the performance. That's all I care about. And the better the gas mileage, the better. But electric cars, well, there ain't what they're being cracked up to be. And there's a reason that no one ever mentions in these commercials. Let's go to Yahoo News. Uh, Borrowing from the Business Insider, Dominic Reuter writing here. One in five electric vehicle owners in the state of Marxifornia have switched back to gas because charging their cars is a, well, major league hemorrhoid, apparently. Roughly 20% of electric vehicle owners in California have replaced their cars with gas ones. The main reason drivers made the switch, the inconvenience of charging and no, it's not having locations where you can charge your car at. I saw one uh, near near where I live it, by Buffalo Wild Wings, and there are several places you can charge your car. Uh, that's pretty cool. I don't mind electric cars. If they work, they work, but they don't, apparently. The findings suggest new challenges facing the gross growth excuse me, of electric vehicle market. In roughly three minutes, three, you can fill the gas tank of a Ford Mustang and have enough range to go about 300 miles with its evil V8 engine. But the electric Mustang Mach-E, plug it in for one hour into a household outlet, gave Bloomberg automotive analyst Kevin Tynan, guess how much range? Guess how much? Remember, three minutes, the V8 engine and the Mustang, hundreds of miles. How about in uh, (laughs) an hour, an hour, 20 times as much time invested charging uh, an electric Mustang, three miles of range. Wow. You might be able to go to the store on the corner and come back. And you'd be about out of juice. Overnight, if you charge all night long, 
all night long. So you come home from work, you're tired, you plug your vehicle in, hope you don't have to go anywhere because it's got to be plugged in, and you charge it all night long. Guess how many miles you're going to get out of that, my friends? 36. That's right. How many people can't even go to work round trip? There's a lot of people who can't go to work one way. But imagine trying to go to work or take the kids to school, come back. I mean, it's you talk about a hassle. You're talking about severe shortcoming of performance from, from electric cars, basically, because it takes so long to charge them. Standard home outlets, here's the problem, deliver 120 volts, powering what electric vehicle aficionados call level one charging, while the high-powered specialty connections at 240 volts are known as level two. These are smart people. They went level one, then level, what can we call the next level? The second level, what can we call it? How about level two? You're a genius. By comparison, Tesla's superchargers, which can fully charge its cars in a little over one hour, run on 480 volts. That difference is, well, night and day. According to a new study published in the Journal of Nature Energy by University of California Davis researchers Scott Hardman and Gil Tao, and they surveyed Californians who purchased an electric vehicle between 2012 and 2018. And I don't know how good the brand new ones are, the 2000, I guess, 21 models, or getting close to releasing 2022 models, I suppose. But roughly one in five plug-in electric vehicle owners said, screw this, show me where, go back to the dealer, you take this piece of crap. Give me a real car and point me to the nearest gas station. My problems will be over. Over 70% of the people lack the access to level two charging and slightly fewer that that lacked level two connections at their workplace. So really, for the most part, you're stuck with level one, which again, an hour charging three minutes. So if you were to charge it again all day, say 24 hours, you get 72 miles out of it. Yes, that's right, kids. 72 miles. And that's why electric cars still suck. And how about the FBI? After January 6th, it seems that there's been this powerful narrative. And if, if I remember correctly, and I do, on January 6th, when I heard about the, the dust up, the rocket, the riot, whatever you want to call it, the idiocy at the Capitol, the media immediately, immediately, it's almost like they had a script in front of them, immediately started reporting this as an insurrection, armed, violent, evil insurrection. They were creating a narrative like that. If I could still snap this finger, I can't because of arthritis. Thanks, arthritis. But anyway... It was immediate. And the blaming Trump came about a half a second later after it. And then going after all these people, trying to track down everyone who was there at January 6th for crimes of something. Again, it shouldn't have been done. There were idiots. I think there were some agitators there too. Some, some plants, if you will, helping to, to get things going. But here's a story of a gentleman in, uh, in Washington. The New York Post has this. Joseph Balanos, pillar of his community, president of the Upper West Side Block Association for 23 years, looked out for his neighbors during a pandemic. He dropped off masks and kept extra heaters in his rent-controlled apartments for seniors. He raised morale with a weekly street dance to show his support for essential workers. He's a Red Cross volunteer. After the 9-11 attacks, the 69-year-old security consultant once received a police commendation for heroism, heroism after saving a woman from being mugged. He is unmarried, cares for his 94-year-old mother. He was a well-loved character in the quiet residential area. Sounds like a hell of a guy. Sounds like a guy I'd like to have for a neighbor. Anyone would like to have for a neighbor. 
But now, now, his neighbors think he is a domestic terrorist. Yes, he attended the then-President Donald Trump's rally in Washington, D.C. on the day of infamy, the worst day ever, according to President Mumbles, on January 6th, but he never entered the Capitol. In fact, he wasn't on Capitol grounds. He was in a friend's room at the J.W. Marriott, a 30-minute walk away from Capitol when that the breach occurred. Nonetheless, he was raided in this past February by the FBI Anti-Terrorism Task Force. He was handcuffed, paraded, and detained for three hours while his apartment was searched. And by searched, they mean ransacked. And all his devices confiscated. Four months later, my friends, he hasn't been charged, doesn't have his devices back, but his neighbors are shunning him and he's had two strokes from the stress. He says, it destroyed my reputation. I'm not a violent invader. I don't condone the criminality and violence on January 6th whatsoever. But the FBI explained themselves by telling Balanos he was raided because of a tip to the January 6th hotline from a neighbor who said he had overheard him boasting about being at the Capitol. Well, apparently his neighbor doesn't have really good hearing. I don't know. An FBI agent phoned Balanos a Sunday after the riot and left a message. He returned the call the next day. Never heard back. So now he is, uh, at the time, rather, he was staying in his mother's apartment in Washington Heights because she had been moved to rehab, and he was facing the difficult decision of whether she should be moved into permanent care. FBI agents arrived on February the 4th, unannounced, interviewed him for 25 minutes. They asked if he was a member of BLM, Antifa, or the Proud Boys. He said no. He told them he caught a train to D.C. on the 6th and arrived at the Ellipse to meet a friend who had flown from California with a girlfriend to watch Trump's speech. He filmed the crowd, while he described, which he described as friendly like a, a political Woodstock. He's a registered Democrat but calls himself independent at heart. He liked Trump's policies. Well, there you go. You're guilty, pal. You can't like Trump's policies. No matter how much good it did for the country, no matter how, if it cut taxes, put more people, uh, got the vaccines out quicker to help the economy, got more people working, more people making more money, more people paying less in taxes. None of that matters. You cannot ever like anything Trump did. So uh, keep this uh, gentleman in your prayers. This is the media and the Democratic Party, but I repeat myself, this is what they've created. Witch hunt this, not witch hunt, that's the wrong term, this lynch mob mentality that if you were anywhere near Washington, D.C. on January the 6th, you are a Trump supporter? Well, one plus one has to equal two. You're guilty. You were part of it. Very dangerous times, my friends. Very, very, very dangerous. Now let's talk a bit about Joe Rogan. Uh, I never listened to his podcast. I know who he is. I have a lot of respect for the guy. But according to Pajamas Media, Joe Rogan is none too happy with our current El Presidente. In fact, he said Joe Biden is uh, out of his mind and everyone knows it. Yeah, pretty much. Have you listened? Have you watched the guy try to make speeches, answer questions when he doesn't have someone right there? And he's not exactly got a, a, even a rigorous schedule. I mean, most presidents I've ever known, Democrat, Republican, whatever, are always doing something, going somewhere, making a speech here. President, it's It's got to be something that, well, you see the pictures of the presidents when they're right when they're sworn in and then eight years later, even four years later, and... It's remarkable how much they've aged. But this piece says Joe Rogan minces no words, and he's pretty near censorship proof. When Rogan thinks about aloud, truth bombs often follow, and his recent comments about President Joe Biden are no exception. All joking aside, Biden's apparent decline should be a concern of everyone. 
To anyone who isn't bothered by the idea, I note that we saw First Lady Jill Biden, who's a doctor, you know, prepping for the recent G7 on Twitter and not her husband. I didn't know the First Lady did that. Or of the number of times his peers corrected and redirected him. The man said more brain farts than uh, I could even imagine. And I, I don't say it to be mean to the president. Okay. I feel badly for him. I think he's been used as someone. They hit him away. Didn't let him really campaign. He made an appearance every once in a while. And they were counting on uh, Trump being very unpopular and keeping Biden where he couldn't make many mistakes. And they were counting on a lot of anti-Trump angst. And then you had the uh, pandemic. Thanks, China. And uh, they used that and bashed Trump over the head repeatedly. And they still do. And they always will. Uh, when they should be thanking him for busting his butt to get those vaccines out like he did. And uh, do anti-vaxxers out there, you want to attack me? It seems like every time I say anything about vaccines, even question something, the people go ballistic on me. Okay, look, you're not a saint if you had the vaccine. You're not a sinner if you haven't had it. That's your personal choice. Okay, you're not a hero either way. I, I got it for very good reasons. I have an elderly mother who to take care of. She has diabetes. She has high blood pressure. Uh, she's on dialysis, so COVID would not have not have done her well. And I wanted her to get it. I had the opportunity to get it as well. I did it. I don't regret it. I'm happy for it. But we got to stop this bash attacking each other over a freaking vaccine. Look. The other day on Facebook, someone had uh, posted uh, something saying that over 5,000 people in America had died from the vaccine. One of the vaccines, there's, there's three different kinds, obviously. So I read into it and I did some math about how many, how many Americans have been vaccinated and how many deaths. It was just over 5,000. And I did the math, and I said, that works out to 0.017% of the people who received it passed away. So that means, not, and I just posted back to her, I said, so that means 99.983% of people did not die of it. And I also pointed out that in the article, it, it even says they don't have evidence for all 5,000 that they died directly from the vaccine. It could have been other things. But it's somebody who wanted to make a statistical point, and they did. This woman accused me of preaching at her, demeaning her. I said, no, I just pointed out facts. I thought it was pertinent to the conversation. If you're going to have a conversation, have an open one. Right. And the woman just kept badgering me about how I was preaching at her and looking down on her. And I never criticized her once. I even said, look, you get the you didn't get the vaccine. That's your business. I have no problem with that. That's your choice. Good for you. Wished her well. She still came at me with that preaching stuff. I finally I just blocked her. Uh, but, but aren't we better than that as conservatives? Aren't we better? Aren't we open-minded enough to say, you know what? You chose to get it good. I didn't. Fine. Get along. Move along. And hopefully all that BS is behind us. But it doesn't make you a saint or a sinner either way, folks. Seriously. You gotta, you gotta think. You're a conservative. Think. Now, you know that Kamala Harris has been getting in trouble for not visiting the border. Really not doing anything. Uh, but the empty suit that is the vice president even got called to test by NBC News. I believe it was Lester Holt, the man with the biggest forehead in the world. Literally, you could show a movie on this man's forehead. It's that large. But even point out to her that, well, you haven't been to the border. And she's in charge, per the president, of being in charge of the border. 
Well, I've, I've never been to Europe either, was her brilliant answer. God, this woman was dumber than a tree stump. But she did go to the border Friday. Thank God the New York Post broke this news for the first time as Vice Presidente, some three months after President Joe Biden put her in charge of the ongoing and worsening migrant crisis. Her visit comes on the heels of a disastrous trip to Guatemala and Mexico last month. They calculated distraction from the historic surge of illegal immigration at the southwest border, which saw more than 180,000 apprehensions in May, a record for that month and nightmarish conditions at migrant youth detention centers across the country. Harris has been criticized by Republicans, Democrats, left-handed people, right-handed people, people with feet, people who with no feet, people of all, because she's been terrible. Uh, she literally is a no-talent human being. But actually, if you want to get technical about her trip to the border, the headline for the New York Post says it all. Uh, John Daniel Davison writes, Kamala Harris doesn't actually visit the border, says nothing of substance, leaves. It was all theater. She went kind of close to the border. Kind of, sort of close. Her trip to El Paso, like her trip to Mexico and Guatemala, is pure theater. As soon as Harris's plane landed, the show began. Ask on the tarmac why she decided now was the right time to make her first trip to the border as vice president. Harris repeated the awkwardly obvious lie that she's been to the border many times. Okay, like many times, like a lot, like more than one or two, many, okay. Before regurgitating the absurd talking points that she had to go to Central America first to understand the, the root causes of the migration. Maybe it was a president saying, come on in during the debates with Trump. Remember that? Maybe it's the idiot, my orcas, the man who's supposed to be head of Homeland Security, standing up at a podium saying "I uh, to, to illegal aliens, I'm not saying don't come. I'm saying don't come right now. What leadership. What an absolute cluster duck this administration is. I, stupid on steroids. That's the only way to describe it. Incompetence, buffoonery. If Trump did it, didn't matter whether it was a success or not. Get rid of it. Start gut, start gutting our oil industry. Cost Americans jobs. Now we now we're importing more and more and more crude from the freaking Russians. The same Russians that the Democrats smeared Trump by falsely accusing of being a puppet for them for four years. Think about that. That's what we have now, folks. So Kamala really <coughs> hasn't been to the war. She kind of flew into an airport kind of close and then, okay, we're off somewhere else now. I had to buy a new hat or something. I don't know. Maybe she had to, to uh, go visit, I'm not going to say it, a certain mayor. I'm not going to say it. It's wrong, okay? Forget that part. How about a Muslim cleric? He assumed room temperature, as the great Rush Limbaugh would have said, after being castrated by one of his wives for, for planning to marry again. Apparently, she had had enough of his you-know-what. Pajamas Media, again with this, the facts at hand presumably speak for themselves, but a trifle more vulgar, vulgarly, I suspect, and facts even usually do. On Thursday evening in the Indian city of Muzaffarnagar, Hazra, the second wife of the Muslim cleric, Malvai Vakil Akhmad, pleaded with him not to take a third wife. Uh, the good man refused her pleas and went to sleep, where... Upon, according to India Today, Hazra cut off his manhood with a sharp-edged kitchen knife, due to which he bled to death. That's not a good way to go. Not a good way to go, man. So apparently she wasn't into the all uh, 
men can have multiple wives thing. What a shame. Hazra will no doubt now face the full measure of the law. Yet while her action cannot be excused, it can be understood. Polygamy destroys romance, dehumanizes women, reducing them to the status of commodities. Is she the one, the only one, who has captured your heart, delighted your eyes, put a spring under your step, and filled your heart with joy? No, she's just one in a series and can be changed once you grow tired of her. The Quran tells Muslim men to marry those that please you of women, two or three or four. But if you fear that you will not be just, then one. So I guess his... uh. His religion caught up with him, caught up with him, and he uh, he is no longer with us. He's grown on, I guess, do do Muslim men who get killed by the wives, do they go to to uh, whatever the Muslim heaven is and get 72 virgins? No. I think they just get like 12 goats or something. I, th- I think, yeah, I think that's it, which, you know, might be fine for, for the gentleman. I don't know. I don't know now he can have a wife forever in eternity that says, you're my daddy. I guess that's insensitive, isn't it? Well, so's polygamy. I'll talk about abusive women. And we've got a couple more pieces here I want to get into. What about inner city violence? The post-racial myth written by a bottom-feeding racist. Another idiot blames guns for all the problems, criminal problems in the country. And this from MSNBS. Hayes Brown, who's an MSNBS opinion columnist, I'll have you know. They don't tell, they don't put that title out there for this anybody, you know. Representative Jim Banks of Indiana, who's chairman of the Republican Study Committee recently sent a memo to its member telling them to lean into the culture war. The backlash against critical race theory is real, Banks wrote, saying that the opposition to the idea of teaching that maybe America's systems are tainted with racism, the same vision shared by civil rights Martin Luther, uh, icon Martin Luther King. For the record, it's not Hayes Brown. The fact is... Martin Luther King would be against critical race theory, I think. Critical race theory is not about liberating anybody. It's about enslaving them to the mentality that they are perpetual victims and that America is the inherently flawed and irrevocably evil empire. Capitalism is evil. Everything, our constitution, our founding, everything about us is racial and racial against black people. See, the the original... Uh, critical theory came from Marxism. They divided people by class, your money, your income. This one's about race, but it's the same crap. It's demonizing certain groups of people, making other groups angry at the these group that is supposedly oppressing everyone. And it makes everyone to rip the country down because it can't be fixed. How many times do you hear that? It can't be fixed beyond repair. It's irrevocably flawed, America is. And that's a very, very, very serious problem. And it's designed, make no mistake, it is designed to destroy the country by dividing everyone. And look how violent crime's going up. Look how hate crimes are rising. Look at the 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 language. Look how many corporations and companies are basically putting guilt on every white person out there. You're white, you're bad. You are your race, period. Your identity is everything you are, and you better act a certain way if you're black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. And if if you're white, well, there's no hope for you because you're just a basically, you're basically addicted to and inherently, by your genes, by your DNA, you are inherently a racist. It's horrible what they're teaching children. They're poisoning their minds because they want to destroy this nation. And people are pissed about it, and they should be. Because you know what? It's evil. 
evil on top of evil, my friends. That's really uh, what needs to be said about that. And this MSNBS hack, Hayes Brown, it claims this is kind of like the new Tea Party from the right. And, you know, he, he goes on about how racist the Tea Party was. They pretended to be into economics and taxes and spending, but they really were just a bunch of racists. Just like people criticizing critical race theory are really just a bunch of racists. Again, more race baiting from leftist bottom feeders to perpetuate leftist bottom feeding lies and rhetoric. How despicable. If you're a Democrat today, how do you live with yourself? I'm, that's an honest question. That really is an honest question. You might want to let that percolate in the mind a little bit, folks. Now, my friends, let's look at inner city crime. American Greatness has a, a really good piece out. And uh, it's entitled, Inner City Violence is Unfathomable. And subtitled, How Have We Become So Callous? It is an utter shame and catastrophe. Baltimore is unfortunately the ironic paragon of this brutal decline into lawlessness. A once proud city, of which I've written previously, has descended into chaos under the continued failed one-party leadership spanning six decades, only to be exacerbated by the continued wokeism and Black Lives Matter push for less policing and more anti-white rhetoric. That's the answer, according to the left. You have more cops. You handcuff them as much as you can. You create an atmosphere where every time a police officer had used any kind of force, he's, he or she's going to be called into question. And at the same time, you stoke up hatred. Again, what I was just talking about against white folks. Because white folks ain't no good, don't you see? Despite the previously held hope for improvement following the 2020 mayoral election, the city continues to hit deadly milestones. Mayor Brandon Scott, a leader with little practical experience aside from working in the city council as a liaison and later as an elected councilman, is continuing the awful tradition of democratic inaction. Ask if he was concerned. Listen to this. This is unbelievable. If asked if he was concerned about the recent surge in, in shooting citywide, Scott replied, no. What I'm concerned about is us focusing every day to make sure we're saving lives in Baltimore. He then continues with, with more platitudes and no action. So you're asked if you're concerned about the, the, the shootings, the deaths. No, I'm concerned with keeping people safe. You can't be not concerned with people getting killed, Einstein, and then claim a second later you're, you're concerned about safety. As of June 21st, just nine days ago, the city of Baltimore surpassed 160 homicides in the first half of 2021. If that isn't sad enough, consider that the city recorded 57 dead in 50 days. That's more than one death a day. If you consider the combat fatalities of U.S. troops in Afghanistan starting in 2001, it wasn't until six years later that the fatalities rose to more than 100 per year. But another way, it was safer to be in combat in Afghanistan between 2001 and 2006 than it is to live in Baltimore in 2021. Yet, too few people are speaking up on behalf of the victims of this horrible crime surge. The politicians are so caught up in being woke that they, they've forgotten that their first priority is to provide for public safety. It's like they have no clue about it, folks. Literally. They're responsible. It's your first damn job. Can you please try to do it? They're too afraid of stepping in line with the Democratic Party elites. And of course, those wonderful BLM activists who, let's face it, they never show up when, when uh, after a weekend of 
Baltimore, Chicago, whatever city of rampant violence impacting mainly black people. Where's Black Lives Matter? See, my problem with Black Lives Matter is this. You claim you get offended if anyone says all lives matter or blue lives matter. You say they're cheapening your 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 wonderful cause, but where's your cause when black people are laying in the street dead in Chicago by the dozens, many weekends? Wounded, shot, stabbed, shot. Where are you, BLM? You're never there. You're never there. But let a cop get a little rough with a suspect, and by God, you're there, and there better be marches. And remember, any violence that ensues are just mostly peaceful protests, of course. In other words, these these leaders in these cities, I'm sure Baltimore is not alone in this, they don't want to be canceled. How selfish of them. Their own political careers... He writes, come before the very lives of their own constituents. How shameful of a city of an entire nation, because this goes all the way through state governments, Congress. It's obscenely, obscenely disturbing. Don't these lives matter? BLM BLM activists tell us how much Black Lives Matter and how important it is to defund the police. How does that fit into the real real world circumstances of Baltimore and countless other cities? Shouldn't the life of a homicide victim matter too? Especially if it's little kids. Yet there's no outrage. What about the nut somewhere in New York who just went on a shooting spree at a house over a parking space? Killed an eight or nine-year-old boy. Where's the outrage? Where's BLM? Nowhere to be found. They're following the money in their own power grab. And that's about all, my friends, you can say for them. How absolutely disgusting this all is. Absolutely, it, it almost it almost takes away your ability to speak sometimes. And Jason Bland continues, as long as the police force continues to be hobbled and is used for social change implementation, then real security cannot exist in our inner cities. Consider the utter disregard a gunman had in the Bronx as he opened fire on a rival gang member as he fled near two children. It's a terrifying moment, pure agony to watch to see someone indiscriminately shot at point-blank range while two small children barely escaped the flying bullets. If you watch the video closely, you can see the smallest child shaking in fear. It's gut-wrenching. Where's the social justice warriors? Where are they? I don't see them. I don't hear them. You want to defund the police? You release people from prison who have violent felonies. They kill again, and you act stunned and shocked. Yet we're trying to do away with bail because it's racist. We're trying to do away with police because they're racist. It's systemic, they tell us. It's evil is what it is. That's what violent crime is, evil. And those who support it, or look to profit from it, or look to push their their weird left-wing nutcase ideals onto the country instead of helping to fix it. If you're one of those people, you're just as evil. You're just as bad, frankly. Good piece at American Greatness. You should go read it. Uh, it was put up uh, a couple days ago, and Jason Bland wrote it. Uh, it uh, it will make you think, and uh, not in a good way, folks. Not in a good way. Now let's move to the, to the Atlantic, not the Atlantic Ocean. No, the Atlantic.com. This piece 
starts out this way. The signposts of racism are staring back at us in big, bold racial inequities. But some Americans are ignoring the signposts, walking on by racial inequality, citing on, writing on by the evidence and proclaiming their belief with religious fervor. America is not a racist country. That's what Senator Tom, uh, Tim Scott said in April. Now, this piece is written by Ibram X. Kendai. He's a contributor at The Atlantic and a racist, uh, racist piece of trash, frankly. Uh, he's also an Andrew W. Mellon professor in the humanities and director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. He's one of these anti-racists. You can't just be against racism. No, you have to be anti-racist, which translates into a bottom-feeding, race-baiting, violent thug-supporting, tear America down because it's all the white people's fault. And police, of course. It's all their fault. And if you're black and you dare disagree with them, you're just an Uncle Tom. That's what he's about, folks. Black babies die at twice the rate of white babies. Why is that? Is it really racism? I don't think blaming racism for that is going to fix it. And I bet there's a lot of people flapping their gums or putting pen to paper like this clown right now who could probably help if they shared some of that money they're making. They could probably help. Roughly a fifth of Native, Amer of Native Americans and Latino Americans are medically uninsured, almost triple the rate of white and Asian Americans. Native people, 24.2%, are nearly three times as likely as white people to be impoverished. The life expectancy of black Americans is much lower than that of white Americans. White Americans account for 77% of the voting members of the 117th Congress, even though they represent 60% of the U.S. population. So apparently we sh every seat in Congress has to be racialized now. If enough people vote for uh, whatever candidate, and you've got, uh, I guess it's what, uh, 60%. So 60% of the seats in Congress, in the House, have to be with white people, according to this clown. And the other percentages will break down whatever. So why don't you just appoint a committee to appoint and say, okay, what color are you? You can, okay, you have to be the representative here. People vote. It's called democracy, something you're, you're not a big fan of. You claim to be, but not actual democracy. And you damn sure not a, not a fan of the Republican form of government. We have, just as you recognize an impoverished country by its widespread poverty, you can recognize a racist country by its widespread racial inequity. In the United States, black college graduates owe an average of $25,000 more in student loans than white college graduates. Well, I'm just going to throw this out there. You know who does the, the student loan? Who's in the game? The government. Yet if someone says, let's get the government out of that and put banks in charge of loaning, let's do something about reducing tuition. Let's get rid of junk, garbage, trailer trash majors that's not going to get a job for anybody doing anything because they're absolute garbage otter sexuality and and tree feminism that's not a major it shouldn't be but it probably is somewhere and you can go tens of thousand dollars into debt studying that now what jobs he get you afterwards anything like that i bet you this clown would be totally against it See, what he wants is not something better for black people. He wants to pimp himself. He wants to be more successful, more wealthy because of the words he says. He doesn't have to mean it. Native Americans die from police violence at three times the rate of white people. No context. What do you mean three times the rate? 
it's all just numbers, right? All they can do is count beans or bean counters. There's this many of this population, this many of this population. Police kill this many in this population and this many in this one. And then we compare the rates. There's no background. There's no looking at going, why? What's the reasons? What's the crime rate in this community? If you want to break down communities by race, which I hate doing, versus this one. I did the research year after year after year. I looked up of the prison population. And guess what? The violent crime rate that is rape, homicide, uh, murder, attempted murder, murder in the second degree, all the bad things, kidnapping, rape. The rate of incarceration among black Americans, white Americans, Hispanic Americans was roughly the same as the rate they committed these crimes. Are we not supposed to put people in prison who are violent and who have hurt people and will probably hurt people again? Is that justice? Of course it's not. It's ridiculous. Black people die at 2.6 times the rate and Latino people die at 1.3 times the rate. So why is the United States that way? I mean, if America is just a racist country, why is the rate in the black population double that of the Latino population? Maybe if you looked up the stats, you would find that double the violent crime rate in one community over the other. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. But racial inequality is not, inequality rather, is not widespread in the country. Most people, most of the time, are in prison because of something they did. And I think personally we need to focus first and foremost on violent felons, putting them away for a long, long time. I don't care if a pickpocket's in prison. I care for rapist is. I don't care if some kid who hot-wired a, a, a car and went on a joyride has never done anything wrong before is in prison. I do care if a child molester or a person who committed cold-blooded murder is. I think one is should be prioritized over the other. But again, if you want to read this piece, Mr. Kendai goes into the whole, um, whole problem about how everything is inequity. It's all unequal. There's no justice in America, basically. He's, he's got his poor mouthing going on. And again, America's just racist. Just racist. They can't change it. That's how we were born, apparently. Horrible. That's horrible thing. And unfortunately, people look up to this clown. He writes, this is a precarious time. The, there are, are people tired of quarantining their racist beliefs, anxious about being held accountable by wokeism and cancel culture, yearning to get back to the norma normality of blaming black inferiority or racial inequality. Again, that's bullshit. The problem people have with cancel culture is no one can tell a joke anymore. No one can make a movie. Actors are afraid to play other people, which is what they do for a living. They have to be the same race now. Everything's racial. Everything's a fight. Everything's a bitch fest. Everything is carping and moaning and griping and whining. The fun is being taken out. The art is being taken out of this country. The creativity the arts, acting, being a producer, being a playwright, directing, it's all going away slowly because everyone's so afraid of being on this list, the cancel culture list, has nothing to do with them being racist. People want to have their life in their country. Black people have it better here than anywhere else on God's green earth. And so do white people and Hispanic people, and Asian people, and Jewish, and Catholic, and Christian. This is the greatest country on earth, period. 
And you notice people like this never look at our past sins in America. They pretend they still exist, which they don't. But they never look and say, America fixed this. They fixed that. Yeah, they fixed that too. Yes, that got fixed too. Our sins get atoned for. We atone for them. It's one of the greatest things about America. He continues, the believers are going after these people with disinformation. They are putting words in the mouths of Black Lives Matter activists, critical race theorists, and writers of the 1619 Project and anti-racist individuals and attacking the words they put in our mouths. Bull-low-knee. The fact is, the things being said about critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, the BS that is the 1619 Project, it's all left-wing Marxist propaganda. It's meant to divide, meant to gen up hate and division, and meant ultimately to destroy this nation. So a glorious, glorious Marxist utopia can rise, I'm sure. And if you want hell on earth, go live in a Marxist utopia. Go ask the people in Korea, North Korea, about that, how that's working out for them. Representative Ralph Norman of South Carolina claims that we believe people with white skin are inherently racist. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis claims that we believe all our institutions are bankrupt and they're illegitimate. Well, Mr. Kendi, that's all I hear you say. That when I read something you write, that's it. That's the message from you, the, the people who created the 1619 Project, BLM. It's all the same. America, racist, 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 racist. No nation, no person is inherently or permanently racist, he writes. The anti-racist resistance to slavery and Jim Crow is as much a part of American history is those peculiar institutions are. White people have been abolitionists and civil rights activists, and they are among the people striving to be anti-racist today. The difference between people who were against slavery, against segregation, against the evil of Jim Crow, and the, quote, anti-racists of today, there was a legitimate beef in those times. There were things that were wrong in America. Those things are dead and gone. People like you continue, Mr. Kendai, to lie and say that it's the current state we're in. So don't don't come off with this white people have been good before. They must be, no 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 they must be blind to follow anti-racism teaching. But what we write or say or think doesn't matter to the believers. All that matters to them is ensuring the adults and children continue to walk on these signposts of racism that implicate them. He goes from writing in one paragraph how white people aren't just all racist. He's never said they're all racist to writing that. In one paragraph. Apparently, he's too stupid to realize what he wrote in the first part of his paragraph. That white, no one's saying white people are all racist. Then he goes on the screen about all that matters to them, white people, is ensuring that adults and children continue to walk on the signpost or by the signpost of racism that implicates them. All the believers want to do is make myths of, out of reality and keep them, the American people out of reality. And your re reality, sir, isn't reality. It's a carefully crafted narrative that teaches black people to hate white people and hate America, and hate capitalism, and hate everything that made this country great, including ultimately themselves. It teaches them to blame police when a, a black criminal pulls a gun, police aren't supposed to shoot them. They blame police for enforcing laws. They blame, blame police for this. Blame the criminal, no matter what their color is. Skin color doesn't matter. And as long as it does matter, we've got a problem. The problem are now are the, quote, anti-racists. But apparently that problem is not going away. 
And again, it's it's an important piece to read. You will get angry. You will get angry and angry and angrier reading it. But you really should read it uh, in the Atlantic uh, from June 22nd. And uh, the Atlantic has, uh, has a select number of articles you can read before you have to pay. Uh, so if you're a subscriber, you have no problem. But uh, if you don't want to pay to read this garbage, well... You're going to have to unless you go pretty soon and read it. Uh, and don't, uh, I think it's a five is the number of articles you can read from them. And you can go read this verbal manure by this race baiting bottom feeder. Who claims not to be a race baiter? He's all over the place because the, he doesn't have the truth. If you don't have the truth, you have to change your tune and change your narrative all the time. Because you can't get pinned down by trying to defend what you've already said. You just move on and pretend you never said that. Even in the same paragraph. And finally, Amanda Marcotte. A, uh, a columnist and a complete nutcase. Who does write for Salon. Where bad writers go to be really bad. She writes, conservatives will find any excuse to indulge in their favorite sport. Racist fear-mongering. The current uptake in violent crime fulfills their desire to use police to terrorize and stigmatize people of color while spinning it as merely in the interest of public safety. Which is especially rich coming from the same people who let hundreds of thousands of Americans die to die of COVID-19 rather than accept emergency pandemic measures i don't know where she dreamed that up at and boy they're throwing themselves into the scare tactics with a relish usually reserved for sharing grammatically confusing memes on facebook uh as the ap reported this month republican politicians across the country are up are using violent crime the rising rates of it as an excuse to pass laws aimed at suppressing black lives matter protests that's a lie. And are protecting police budgets from evaluation. Again, a lie. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland on June 11th blaming crime on radical and reckless decisions by some jurisdictions to defund their police force, which is at best a wild exaggeration of what we largely what have largely been efforts to redirect funds to crime prevention. The left used the term defund the police over and over, and they're still using it. Amanda Marcotte apparently has never read this. She's probably uh, still living under her mother's house or something, which at best is wild exaggeration uh, of efforts to redirect funds to crime prevention. Yeah, let's send social workers out with police on every call so they can do what the police, because the police to shoot people, basically, according to this idiot. Representative Tom Emmer of Minnesota, the head of the National Republican Congressional Committee, falsely accused Democrats of supporting the dangerous idea of defunding police. Maybe he'd stop if they stopped saying they want to do it. Maybe, see, the polls are showing people don't want to hear about defund the police, so Democrats are now backtracking, backtracking, backtracking. Because they're actually seeing that their rhetoric is getting out there. Their message, their real message is showing. And more normal people, Americans don't like that. They see the need for police. Of course, Amanda Marcotte doesn't see the need for anything, basically. So what's the real solution? Well, if you read this whole piece at salon.com, you're going to find it's guns. See, all those people bought guns during the pandemic, during the riots, because they were afraid their business would be burned to the ground or their home would be burned. They were afraid police were being defunded. Police were trying to cover riots that were mostly peaceful, of course. And I guess scared they started buying more and more guns. But the people that went out and bought guns, what Amanda Marcotte misses here, they're not the ones committing these crimes. Miss Marcotte, you see, you have to have facts to make a point, and you don't have any. You never have. And that's it for me, my friends.
Thank you for listening. Morning, noon, or night. I do appreciate it. Remember the three golden rules of life. If you're left, you just ain't right. God bless America. Dramatic pause there. And yes, go Gators and go Lightning. They play game two tonight against the Canadians. Three wins to repeat as Stanley Cup champions. And my friends, you can always contribute at thedailygator.com or at the anchor site, anchor.doughagan. We'll get you there. Thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. Good night. Good afternoon. Good morning again. Whenever you listen, thank you so much. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, my friends. Bye-bye.